0: Hello and welcome! If you didn't know, I'm your host, Catherine, psychic medium and self worth coach and true crime addict, and this is Murder and Mediumship. If this is your first time listening, thank you for being here. I'm so glad you found the show. And if it isn't and you haven't left some stars and a shout out, then head on over to Spotify and iTunes and spread some love so the show can reach the ears of more and more listeners. Coming in May of 2022, I would like to introduce you to a group called intuitively aligned, a private membership community dedicated to creating safe space for intuitive stepping into their gifts. We will have bi-weekly psychic and mediumship practice circles, weekly intuitive tips and education on manifestation, as well as energetic hygiene. Click in the show notes to be alerted to this beauty landing in early May, 2022. And in the meantime, use code ARIES, A-R-I-E-S for 20% off any booking, now through the end of April. That is any 30, 45, or 60-minute reading. And here we go.
1: Lawsville Show Station, Deputy Shaliff, I can I help you?
2: Hi, I'm calling from Joffrey's Restaurant in Malibu. Yeah. Um, we have a guest here who is refusing to pay her bill, and we think she may, I mean, she sounds really crazy, she may be on drugs or something. Um, we are wondering if someone could come by and pick her up. Okay, well,
1: what's the address there?
2: It's 27400 Pacific Coast Highway.
1: And is she a white, black, Asian, Hispanic?
2: She's a young black girl. She's probably in her 20s.
1: Okay, what's she wearing?
0: She's wearing a black T-shirt and I think blue jeans.
3: Is she with anybody else?
0: No, it's just her. Okay. So what you just heard was a call coming in from Joffrey's about Matrice Richardson. Joffrey's is a very high-class restaurant on the Pacific coast in Malibu, California, okay? Matrice is a 24-year-old woman who seemingly was suffering from, as you heard, possibly some sort of drug use or some sort of mental breakdown or slip from reality. Matrice was a recent graduate of Cal State Fullerton with a bachelor's of psychology, and was preparing to apply for a graduate program at the encouragement of her mentor and boss, Dr. Rhonda Hampton, a clinical psychologist she had been interning for. In addition to this internship, Maitrese was also a go-go dancer at a local gay and lesbian club, not to be confused with stripping. Her career goals were incredibly respectable, as she planned on working as a child psychologist with a focus on foster children. Prior to college, Mitrice was a cheerleader, dancer, and pageant queen. Growing up with her mom and her stepdad in San Gabriel Valley in California, she was the only child of her parents who had her when they were very young themselves. Close loved ones and friends would have described her as someone who was always dancing, whether in competitions or just around the house. She was vivacious, bubbly, and always encouraging others to keep reaching for their dreams. And it would seem to anyone on the outside looking in that Maitrice really had it together. A recent college grad in a committed and loving relationship with her longtime girlfriend and working toward her dream career. However, something had shifted with her in the last few weeks, and though her mother Latisse had noticed her daughter saying some odd things here and there, she kind of shrugged it off as stress and wasn't too worried about her daughter at all. On September sixteenth, two 2009, Latisse received a call from her grandmother who Matrice was actually living with in L.A. She was helping to care for her great-grandmother and, in exchange, having a safe and loving home to live in while she established herself in the area. Kind of a win-win for everyone involved. As it would turn out, though, Matrice had left her secretarial, secretarial job at a freight forwarding service in Santa Fe Springs earlier than usual that day. Her boss would later say that Matrice was acting particularly bubbly and giggly, but in a rather concerning way. From there, she drove to her aunt's home in Inglewood, California, and while she was there, she scattered business cards on her Aunt Lauren's porch, stuck some in her plants, and left a note on her uncle's work van that read, Who is queen now, Mississippi? Her aunt was actually out of town when all of this happened, but her next move was to hop in her Honda Civic and to head north on the Pacific Coast Highway until she pulled off and stopped at Joffrey's the fine dining restaurant where it wasn't uncommon to run into movie stars, television actors, and other celebrities. No one knows why she headed this way or why she stopped there of all places. But when she pulled up to the valet, he informed her that it was valet only and that he would be right with her as there were a few cars in front of her. When he returned to her vehicle, she had actually hopped into the front seat of his vehicle and was going through his CD's brief flashback to having that giant book full of CDs and how incredible that was to just have like hundreds and hundreds, like it was a bragging point, right? Or like choosing which ones lived in your CD player that day in the car. Anyway, I digress. When she was questioned as to what the heck she was doing, she responded, it's subliminal. And that she was there to quote, avenge the death of Michael Jackson. As if those comments weren't strange enough, she went on to ask him if he knew the language of numbers and warned him to be on the lookout for a woman with tattoos all over her arms. As if possible, her behavior grew even more strange after she ordered herself a real fancy cute little cocktail umbrella drink and a $65 Kobe steak. She walked over to a larger table of patrons and sat down with them only to begin discussing astrology, numbers, and breaking codes. When Caroline, the hostess, checked on the table to see if they were okay, they didn't seem too concerned about her being there, though they were weirded out. They felt like she wasn't really any threat and was clearly struggling with her with her mental health. When that party left, Mitrice tried to walk out of the restaurant, seemingly like under the impression that her, quote, friends at the larger table had taken care of her bill for her. There are accounts of her telling the employees that God told her it was taken care of with the language of numbers and that it would make sense. And a number of employees even offered to pay her bill or to help her out. But ultimately, after Maitrice called her great-grandma, it seemed like it could be sorted out. Her great-grandma offered to pay the tab over the phone, but without a faxed copy of her credit card, the restaurant was unwilling to take that form of payment. So the manager insisted that the staff call the police. When the police were called, multiple deputies showed up on the scene, and it was explained very clearly that she seemed to be suffering from some sort of mental health episode and could potentially be dangerous to herself or others. They called the police not just because of the fact that she couldn't pay the bill. According to the manager, he later explains that his his motive to call the police there, his his reasoning, his logic for it was that she clearly seemed in like she was in some sort of distress and she needed help so he thought that the safest place for her would be with the police although i have to think that there was a lot more behind that than him just calling the police on her because he felt like it was safest for her i, I don't i don't know I, I don't that doesn't sit right with me but regardless upon searching her vehicle deputies found less than an ounce of marijuana and essentially placed her under a citizen's arrest and took Took her to the Lost Hills Sheriff Station in Calabasas through the Santa Monica Mountains. Before they had even arrived at the station, Lettice was on the phone with the Lost Hills Sheriff Station to see if her daughter had arrived. And that's like a 15, 20 minute drive over there. So, really, her grandmother, Latisse's grandmother, Matrice's great grandmother, called so quickly to alert mama to what was going on. And Latisse called as quickly as she possibly could have to see what she could do to help her daughter. And this is that call to the uh, Lost Hills Sheriff Department.
2: I'm calling. I'm a little frazzled right now. I understand my daughter is being brought into the station. My Teresa Richardson has made it to the station yet and she's been booked.
1: Okay. Is, is Do you know where she's coming from?
2: Uh, it's some restaurant out in Malibu, and I, I didn't even think to get the name. The okay. yeah, name the,
1: only, the I- only place we have somebody that's in custody that they just announced on the radio that they're coming up is from Joffrey's in Joffrey. Pacific Hills Highway. It's okay. the only female that's being brought up to the station as we speak. They actually just put it on the radio right before you called.
2: Okay. Okay. I'm I'm her mother, oh, okay. and are you guys gonna book her and then release her on her own re- recognizance tonight? Because it's it, it's dark. She doesn't have a car, and I don't want her wandering out. I'm I'm totally just taken aback because this is so out of character for her. Yeah. And you'll see when she comes in. She she's well spoken. I think the only way I will come and get her tonight is if you guys are gonna release her tonight. Yeah. If, if going to be held in custody for some type of arraignment tomorrow, mm-hmm. then I will wait until tomorrow. She definitely has no place, you know, I mean, she's not from that area and I would hate to
3: <laughs> wake
2: up to a morning report, uh-huh. lost somewhere with her head chopped off, uh-huh. so I guess I would have to come and get her, oh my God.
3: Yeah, we're in a great Hills. The only
1: thing is, at least in the station here, she will be separated, so nobody's going to be with her. Uh, so at least that's, you know, the plus thing, so you don't have to worry about her safety.
2: Oh, yeah. No, I feel safe with her being yeah. in, in custody. It's being released, but I'm worried about it. It's, it's crazy out here. All right. Well, then I will more than likely call and touch a basis with you guys a little bit later.
1: Okay. Um, yeah, she'll call you looking. as soon as she comes in, too.
0: Okay, so you heard yourself. They say that she's staying there overnight. The deputy that she spoke with, Deputy Shalev, and forgive me if I said his last name incorrectly, he basically reassures Latisse that her daughter is safe in custody with them, that she'll call as soon as she gets in, right? They tell her Matrice will call her when she arrives and she'll be able to talk to her then. He kind of does like that passive, fake, annoying laugh, being very clearly like, yeah, yeah, everything's fine, everything's fine. He's super polite with her, right? Well, that phone call never comes in. In fact, Deputy Shalev his shift ends soon after he speaks with Lettice and he failed to pass information about Maitrice to the officer assuming the watch after him. And this is just the beginning of a series of missteps by the LAPD that lead to horrific and avoidable, entirely avoidable consequences for Maitrice and her family. The jailer... Sharon Cummings was, quote, never told about Maitrese acting erratically, and would later describe Maitrese's behavior as, quote, coherent and polite. She even recalled that they talked about their personal musical preferences. Isn't that so sweet? According to her, the arresting deputy, Armando Lurero, never made any mention of any strange behavior either directly to her or in the incident report. His his incident report never suggested any mental illness and portrayed my trees as, quote, completely normal. Why would the staff at Joffrey's have called if her behavior was completely normal? So when my trees, which, of course, the patrons disagree with, the staff at Joff- uh, Joffrey's disagrees with. It's, it's absurd. So when Matrice's mom wakes up early in the morning, never having heard from her daughter, she calls the station back at about 5.30, only to be told that her daughter had been released hours prior. Last of all, Can help
2: you? Yes, good, good morning. My name is Latrice and I'm calling to follow up on my daughter who was brought in last night around 10.30, 11 o'clock. Okay,
1: let me transfer you the jailer. Hold on, please. Thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Station,
2: Baumgartner. Yes, hi. My name is Latice and I called not too long ago regarding my daughter, Mitrice Richardson. How long before a missing persons report can be filed? Is it 24 or 48 hours?
1: Yes, yeah, long Well, it depends on the circumstances, but... Uh, um, I, I didn't take your call, so I'm not familiar with it. Did she just not return home after going
2: out? She was arrested last night. This is the first time she's been arrested. Um, She's in an unknown area uh-huh. that she's never been in. She's without a vehicle. Nobody can find and, her. And
1: where was this at? Where was she arrested at?
2: Your your facility. Her name is Mitrice Richardson.
1: Okay. Okay. D- do you know if she's, if she's here now or was she released?
2: They said she was released.
1: Okay, and what time was she released?
2: Um, at, at just shortly after 12 a.m.
1: Yeah, normally I we wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend doing one uh, that soon. Um, right, what is the
2: time frame?
1: You know, I, I guess probably 24 hours would be reasonable. I mean, okay. if if there would be some some mitigating factors, you know, where, where you know, you su- would suspect maybe something, you know, well, not yeah. right.
2: Right. She doesn't know the area. She's never been in your area before. Where where do you?
1: Where does she live?
2: She is unfamiliar with that area. Do she you think she, not she
1: ha- possibly could have gotten a bus home? No. And oh,
2: um, listen, my child has never ridden a bus. Okay. No, right. she would not know how to ride a bus.
1: <laughs> I would probably wait till you know early this morning, and if she doesn't turn up, you can certainly call. I don't suspect anything um, bad happened. I'm
2: concerned because, uh, well, first of all, I thought they were going to keep her overnight because she was highly intoxicated. Uh-huh. Um, something so, so, something is obviously going on with her. Have
1: you because, talked to the jailer? And yes.
2: Yeah. Yes, 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 I have. He said he tried to get her to stay, but because she was an adult, they had to let her go. I, I believe that she is highly depressed, um, and she, she she's in a depressive state.
1: You know, it could be possible that maybe she... I mean, there's a lot of options and I, a lot of possibilities, and I don't think all of them would be, um, you know, something dire. But I can certainly understand your fears, you know, being your daughter and all that.
2: Well, um, I think she's depressed. That's what has is me that more what fight.
1: That's worried that. you more than just her. Okay.
2: That and the fact that she's in an area where she doesn't know where she's at. Yeah. Does so. she
1: take medication at all?
2: No, she I, I believe it's a state that she's in right now because of just the the weird activity that's hey, been going wh- on. What's, the half name? Half of day. what's your name What's her name? Her name is her
1: name is okay. Richardson. Okay. And your name, ma'am?
2: Latisse.
1: Okay, Latisse. Here, here's what I want you to do. Let yeah, why don't you wait a couple hours? And and give us some time to kind of, I'll go back and talk to the jailer and try and get a timeline of when she was released and, you know, make sure she's not asleep in our lobby or anything like that. And then once you give us a call back in a couple hours, if she hasn't shown up or made contact with you, then maybe we can do something for you, okay?
0: Okay. There is so much that I want to cover in this call. First off, in her first call, I love how she has to say that her daughter is well-spoken. Like She's thinking like, look, this is an intelligent person. She's well-spoken. This isn't characteristic of her. You'll see that. Um, and then on this phone call, she gets passed around at first. And then they tell her, well, he fumbles through the circumstances of, I don't know what the circumstances are. I didn't take your call. Well, there should be a log, I imagine, of who has called and what's going on, especially around someone who probably should have been held over on a psych hold. Regardless, he then goes on, her mom goes on to say that she's got no vehicle. She has no knowledge of the area. Isn't that kind of enough of a mitigating circumstance there? And he brings up, oh, well, I don't know, other mitigating factors like there could be other things going on. He kind of hems and haws and passes it around. And she's like, well, he just, she doesn't know the area. He literally says to her, well, maybe she took the bus. Okay. She took the bus and it's been five and a half hours and she's still not home. This makes zero sense. He tells her to wait until early in the morning. It's already 530 in the morning. What time do you want her to wait until? He says, I don't expect that anything bad has happened. The audacity to say something that he actually has no working knowledge of. He can't imagine anything bad happened. You're the police. People don't call you because something good happened. Good Lord. Then when he says, have you talked to the jailer when that's who originally passed the call off to him? Oh my God, my my brain could explode. It could be possible. There's lots of possibilities. He's stammering again. And then he says that lots of those possibilities are probably not anything dire. Okay, well, the one possibility that it could have been, turns out it was dire and nobody moved on it. And again, minutes into this conversation, he has to double check on what her name even is, which I find sickening because it means that he's not even paying attention enough to have retained her name. This is a big deal. Tells her to wait a few more hours so they can get their timeline straight. And what really blew me away is when he said, make sure she's, you know, not like asleep in her lobby or anything. Is that common that you release people and they go to sleep in your lobby? This doesn't feel right. This does not feel right at all. So they tell her to wait to file a missing persons report on her mentally unstable daughter, who's in a state of disillusion and depression in an area where she's not familiar with after being – Detained for erratic and concerning behavior after contact was made with the family that determined she would be safer staying in jail until her mom could get her in the morning. How did they not? How did they not do what they could to get her a a psych evaluation or something like that? Like for crying out loud, it sounds to me like it was just a little too much paperwork, but you know what? I guess we'll never know. So. They actually gave her the option to leave of her own volition, as you heard in the call, and she chose to leave, despite the conversation with her mother who was concerned for her psychological well-being, especially after being brought in for her erratic behavior. Unacceptable, negligent, it's its absurd to me. But if that weren't bad enough, and I'm getting sick of saying that in this episode, but if that weren't bad enough, roughly one hour after this phone call from Latisse comes into the station, a call from Bill and Karen Smith who live in the Montanito neighborhood of Calabasas comes in, and this is not too far from the sheriff station either. Well, the sheriff station, office. can I help
3: you? Yeah, hi. Hey, uh, this is uh, uh, Smith at Cold Canyon. We had a prowler walking around through the backyard here, but we don't know what the situation was. I don't know if you have a unit in the area. It might do a little drive-by or something. Okay, where's this at? This is Cold Canyon, like on Cold in Montanito. But um, it's in the back of the house, uh, which is right where Wood Bluff hits the hits, uh, Cold Canyon. Uh, and we just heard a strange woman walking through the backyard here. It's fairly large property, and she was sitting on the steps right, right in the back of the house here. Uh, this is kind of a circular driveway, and the gates were closed, so we don't know where this woman came from. You see the cross was Woodbluff. Yeah, that's right. Uh, there's there's a, a horse trail, ac- hiking trail access through here, but we've never had this kind of happen- thing happen before. What she looked like? White, blackest. Uh, you know, a tall, slim black woman with afro hair. About how tall? Uh, well, she was sitting down, stretched out on the wooden steps in the back of the house. Hard to tell, but she looked like she might have been medium to slightly tall, uh, with a big afro hair, very skinny. And I think she was wearing maybe jeans or tight pants with a t-shirt. You, you no, never, t-shirt. You've never seen her there before? No, never. Nobody ever does that. I mean, the, the people hike on the trail all the time. We, you know, the trail goes through our property, but we leave it open on purpose because it's kind of a nice thing for horses and people. And so she's laying across the, she was laying across the steps, or she was sitting, kind of sprawled out on, the, on these wooden steps in the back of the house, right against the back of the house. She yeah. since got up and left. Uh, she's since gone. Yeah, she's been gone about five minutes now. But as we followed over, we thought maybe a little drive-by wouldn't be a bad idea. And what direction was she, she last seen heading? Never saw her. She, once she left, she just disappeared. Uh, we I moved from one window to another. I said to her, I, I hollered down, "Are you all right?" And she said, "I'm just resting," or something like that. Uh, but. Uh, she's certainly gone out of the way to get to that close to the house, because the hiking trail is not that close. It's on the ridge. Great. Right, well since we you go ahead and check the area for her. Appreciate that very much. Not a problem, sir. Thank you. you Bye. T- Bye. Bye.
0: Okay. So this call comes in, and when the call comes in, I... What kind of strikes me is that, number one, the tone of voice and the reception of the call is definitely different than when they spoke to Latisse. Regardless, He mentions it's a circular driveway and the gates are closed. So if she wanted to be there, if she was there, she had to really want to be there. Who he describes there's no way it was anyone other than Maitre's. And she must have gone up the horse trail is what he basically says. It's the only way he could see that she would have found her way over there. And that to be that close to the house, to be like leaning up against the house, she had to even then venture a long way from the horse trail if that's how she got up there. Now, when he called, she had only been gone about five minutes, and he had said that he hollered down to her, and she kind of hollered back that she was just resting or whatever, and then she, poof, disappeared, right? So, knowing that Latisse's mother had just called with her concerns. And this woman, this description sounds so much like my trees. It only makes sense that it would be her, especially being this close to the sheriff's station still. The police take two hours to go out there to check on my trees, who I'm sure it was. They had just released a mentally unstable woman who fits that description in an area where she was unfamiliar with and wandered into someone's backyard via a horse trail or something, and no one went to find her after her mom had already called, not just with concern, but asking about the timeline on a missing person like They could have literally rescued her right there, but it took two hours for them to go out there. This was the last sighting of my Richardson, and it would be 11 whole months before her body would be found in dark Canyon, only six and a half miles from the police station. She was released from. She was found on a hillside, partially mummified with her clothing removed. And we're going to come back to this in a little bit, but that terrain wasn't what one would choose to traverse wearing only jeans and a t shirt with tennis shoes on either, which again is what Maitrece was wearing that night. And in the meantime, an email was sent three days after Maitrece's release. That means three days of not knowing where she was. And Lieutenant Chu, this is Loriero's supervisor, the booking deputy, He sends an email to Captain Tom Martin that the deputy had booked Mitrice because she had been, quote, acting a little ditzy at Joffrey's, not drunk, but she was definitely acting unusually and was very uneasy about just having let her go. Now, this email surfaced during the civil lawsuit Mitrice's family had filed against the LAPD. Lieutenant Chu denies writing this email, and the department refuses to admit that she had been acting in any sort of unusual way. As if that weren't enough? The restaurant staff testified to their certainty that they properly conveyed Maitrese's condition to the responding deputies. There was no room for them to believe she had been acting in a healthy and normal way or they wouldn't have arrested her. In fact, Joffrey's employees were then asked to sign sworn declarations that did not include any mention of Maitrese's erratic behavior. The valet, in turn, signed a declaration written by county attorneys that he had definitely spoken to to two deputies that evening, and one of them had referred to Mitrice as, quote, a ding. This is sickening and so disrespectful because he further conveyed to the deputies that he felt she was a danger to herself and possibly others. However, the final report was littered with errors still, and they were asked to sign it, whether intentionally sloppy to leave important details out or because they simply didn't give a crap about Mitrice or the situation. In the early days of her disappearance in the Montanito area, her family demanded any video of my trees in the police department, and they were told that there simply was not any video of her there. This seems kind of ludicrous to think that there would be no footage, no surveillance footage of any department, department activity within the building. Five months after demands for internal video of my trees, finally video is given to the family. So where was it for five months? Well, evidently, Captain Tom Martin had told his sheriff, Lee Baca, that they were in his desk drawer. Suddenly, the videos were produced and handed over, and if that's not eyebrow-raising and curious enough, the footage that was received was of her leaving the department and a deputy leaving immediately after her. It cannot be seen which way he goes after leaving the building. And it also showed Maitrese clinging to mesh screening and rocking side to side as if a child in a state of distress or anxiety. Now, journalist Mike Kessler was able to identify the deputy in the video, and when contacted, the deputy lied about having been at Lost Hills Department during the time that Maitrese had been there. As her journals were read through and her social media activity was examined, it became clear that Maitrese was in a state of mania due to bipolar disorder, According to her parents' attorneys as well as psychological counsel, she should have been put on a 72-hour psychiatric hold. Now going back to where her body was discovered, Matrice was found on September sixteenth, two 2009, with her belt, bra, and jeans scattered hundreds of feet down a ravine in Dark Canyon, again 6.5 miles from the patrol station. The next few details are gruesome, so if you care to skip ahead, please do. Her skull and spinal cord were detached from the rest of her remains. She was found by state rangers searching an abandoned marijuana farm in the Montanito area. The coroner was adamant that no one disturb her body until he got there. Protocol is for the coroner to take photos, but LAPD deputies not only didn't wait for the coroner to take photos of the remains, but they completely destroyed the scene by getting in there with little to no precautions, bagging her remains and evidence haphazardly and airlifting them by helicopter out of the canyon. The coroner would later express that he was very clear with the sheriff's officials about leaving everything exactly as it was. Some sources even state that the coroner was waiting for a police helicopter to take him to the site, but according to the Office of Independent Review of Valley County, the helicopter was diverted twice for two separate emergency situations, so due to, quote, dwindling daylight, the sheriff's department decided to airlift the remains rather than leave it overnight for the coroner to process the next day. Now, this makes very little sense to me. Number one, they talk about how they actually had hours and hours of daylight left and they left way earlier in the day than were made to believe. However, I would imagine that it would be best to leave her exactly as she was found. Obviously, I'm not an expert. Rather than risk botching an investigation, unless, of course, you desire the investigation to be botched to cover your own butt, again, the coroner was very clear, but LAPD insisted that they thought they were doing the right thing, despite knowingly and intentionally breaking state law by removing remains without permission from the coroner. It's later chalked up to a communication error, according to the Office of Independent Review. It comes as no shock, though, that the coroner was unable to determine how my trees had died. According to Newsweek magazine, LAPD told Kessler, It sounds like someone abducted her, killed her, and at some point, dumped her body. And yes, this is where I'm choosing to share what it is that I see happening in her disappearance. Remember when the call came in about my trees? I believe someone who wasn't actually on the call. This is the call from Bill and Karen Smith. I believe someone who wasn't actually on the call had a conversation with the deputy who took the call or who, whomever it was who took the call. I believe that that person who was not involved with that phone call itself, but had a conversation about it with the person who took it, I believe that that person drove out there in their personal vehicle, not in their official vehicle, and they found her well before the other officers went out to see what was going on at that property. I mean, they had a two hour window. She hadn't wandered too far from where she had been spotted by the Smiths when this person pulled up to, quote, offer assistance to her. I believe whether he was in uniform or not, she trusted this person to be giving her a ride to wherever she needed to go. And because the officers at the station were talking about her and what a ding she was, they knew this could be an easy opportunity to get what they wanted. He found her, lured her into his vehicle, and abducted her. I do not believe that he killed her immediately, but then he held on to her for, I'm hearing, around a month, and as far as I can tell, he drugged her for ease of control. He knew that nothing would lead back to him as far as he was concerned because it, as it was already explained, as it was, it was still an incredibly corrupt apartment and his tracks would be covered. Once the searches had kind of slowed down, He dumped her body, assuming it would roll further down the ravine, but snagged where it was, and that's why it wasn't initially found in any air searches or even foot searches. I do believe an officer was involved in her death, and I do believe that he will be brought to justice, but not until he's near retirement or following his retirement. He feels like he would have been in his 40s or so at the time, which would likely have him retiring in the next few years. I do not believe that she was his only victim. I do believe that it was also racially motivated. The energetic undertones feel outright evil and incredibly unsettling. And Even as I say that, I feel chills all over my back. This would be a person who would be a little too aggressive during body searches or target females specifically in traffic stops or really any situation where you're finding someone maybe prostituting themselves or Someone who would be, quote, less desirable to regular society whereby by whatever standards. He is most certainly a white male, and I do believe, again, he is law enforcement. If he himself is not in a position of authority, then he's backed or protected by someone who is in a position of authority, whether in local government or on the police force. Matrice Richardson's parents both filed wrongful death suits against Los Angeles County and officials at the Sheriff's Department. In this lawsuit, Sutton incites Maitrice's behavior at the station where she can be seen tugging at the back of her own hair, grabbing at a door, swinging back and forth, clawing at the mesh in the booking cage, and making a failed attempt to use a payphone. Additionally, she alleges unlawful arrest as someone, multiple someones, had offered to pay her bill at Joffrey's. The police department witnessed behavior that was clearly out of ordinary and indicated that Maitrice was unwell. No one took the time to hold her for a psych eval, likely because it was more paperwork, and they were uninterested in doing so. Multiple witnesses can testify to Matrice's behaviors, but the police seemingly didn't notice anything unusual. The lawsuit, the lawsuit was doing more than just filing for damages, but also was showing was allowing Sutton and her attorney to access the footage of Mitrice within the walls of the police station and access to keep an actual copy of that footage rather than only view it as Latisse Sutton had been able to do before. It gave them the ability to depose any and all officers or detectives involved in both her arrest and her release. And her mother actually says that she feels like she was forced to file a wrongful death death lawsuit just in order to get gain access to all of the things that they were being turned away from. Ultimately, Maytreece's parents, Latisha Sutton and Michael Richardson, settled their lawsuits, which they had filed separately, but they were settled together, against the L.A. County Sheriff's Department for $900,000 in 2011. Her parents would split the $900,000 settlement, and each would be responsible for their own personal attorney fees. I hardly see how this much money can compensate for the loss of their daughter and lack of answers or justice, but I suppose it's better than nothing. In March of 2022, the L.A. County Board of Supervisors both increased and extended the reward offered for any information leading to a conviction in the death of Maitrese Richardson. In addition, both Malibu and Calabasas have reward offers that total $20,000 combined. If you have any information that could even potentially help in the search for justice for Maitreese Richardson, do not hesitate to bring it to the attention of LAPD. Please leave any episode recommendations to Murder and Mediumship, and I'll see you April 27th for the Patreon-exclusive interview of legendary gangster Al Capone. Thank you all for listening.